0: We study today is James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 where the author is pointedly calling out the wealthy I'm going to read it as we begin. It will be up on the PowerPoint James 5 1 through 6 Come now you rich people weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Let me pray. Lord, help us find understanding through your inspired scripture and from your spirit. May nothing, God, block our hearts from hearing you. Amen. Socrates said this, he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. In other words, those who aren't content with what they have now are not going to be any more content when they finally get what they want. Our scripture from James today is about greed. And I was wondering how it is that we recognize greed in our lives. It's not something that we may be very aware of. I'm not sure we talk about it very much. So I thought about what greed might look like in our lives from what Socrates might call the discontented soul. Having a pattern of always taking the best for yourself. Not sharing easily what you have. Getting around laws so you have the financial edge over the government. Continually spending a lot of money on yourself, telling yourself that you're worth it. Not really caring about what others need or how they feel. Always wanting the best deal. Thinking you deserve more because of how hard you work, have worked or how you have been deprived in the past coveting what someone else has complaining about what you don't have or how much you wish you had bringing many conversations back to money judging those who have more than you do craving even more when you have enough willing to compromise morality or ethics to get what you want trying to get something for nothing feeling robbed if you don't get the best deal possible and taking advantage of those who are well off greed like lust and gluttony is a sin of desire it is a black hole to acquire or possess more than the needs than one needs especially with respect to material wealth it doesn't matter how much you own or don't own It's a sin that originates in the heart and then moves outward into our lives. It's a motivating force that can be second nature that we don't even see it. But James says that greed will eat away at our souls until we look and maybe we don't see much left. And somehow, how much we want seems equal with how much of our souls we're willing to give up. To have more. James is telling us that a life unchecked by greed has consequences. And leads to evil for everyone involved now and in the future. And James is trying to wake those up. Those souls that are being eaten away by their excessive desire for more. Before it's too late. It's unclear who James is talking to here. He has been talking to the church. Is he still? Are these Christians, or is he calling out the wealthy non-believers? In our time today, we're going to assume that he is talking to all of those who are wealthy, but who are using that wealth in inappropriate ways, that is going to have huge ramifications for them if they don't change. In one of the clearest statements we have in the New Testament, James is writing with a prophetic voice to the church as he explains what greed does to us. So I'm going to talk about five things. Some are going to be longer than others. Five things that greed does to us from this passage. First, in verses 2 and 3, James is saying how greed causes us to accumulate more. In the ancient world, there were three main sources of wealth. Garments, harvested grain, and precious metals or jewelry. All are mentioned in this passage. And James is pointing out how temporary all of these things are. He points out in the not-so-distant future that everything material that we consider so important is going to rot, fade, spoil, and be ruined. Even the precious metals that we know don't rust aren't going to survive eternally. And everything that has been hoarded and accumulated and considered as treasure will be used as evidence against us in the end. There's an idea here that feels like things are just sitting and rotting. Things are just not being used and holes are are coming into it. There's an idea here of uh, we have it to have it, but we're not using it or allowing someone else who might need it to use it. This is a picture of a person whose stuff is more important to them than anything else, maybe even the Lord. What a sad state to trust only in what can be bought or earned here. Warren Wiersbe says this, You and I may possess many things, but we don't own them. God is the owner of everything, and we are his stewards. This is a key message in this passage. We are not the owners. We are merely given the privilege of using what is here for a while. But that is not the mindset of the greedy person. They get more and more, which never fulfills them. Who can lay up treasure in the last days, which is what James is saying. Right now I'm in a small group where we're reading The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And it's about people who take a bus ride from hell to heaven and the various reactions they have once they get there. And one guy boasted while he was on the bus how he was going to get to the new place and he was going to take some of the goods uh, and bring it back to sell as commodities in the place where he was from. And when he gets there, he actually tries to do it. He's in heaven, furtively trying to hide so he won't be seen stealing something to bring it back to sell, as if that's how it works. And he has such a... um, uh, a, a time trying to get these golden apples and they kind of all fall on him and he's trying to like reach one and he can't reach it because it's like so you know so uh heavy how deluded he is when we read it we had quite a conversation about this in our group how easily we can delude ourselves about what is important ignoring all God has for us where we are The Bible has a lot to say about making money and God. A good question we might ask ourselves is, what is our relationship with our stuff about? Are we greedy with it? I had a person this week come and say, I have struggled for years and years with all of my stuff. I can't get rid of it. And she said, I'm finally going to hire somebody to come and help me. She goes, I just have to be free. My soul is so preoccupied with all of my stuff and all of the things that I can't deal with it anymore. Are we greedy with our stuff? Do we worry about not having enough when in actuality we have plenty? It's wise to save money for the future, but how much is enough? What would the Lord say to us about the anxiety we feel about our level of wealth, which is high above what most of the world has? When what we have becomes the main source of our security, surpassing our need for God, we need to reassess our mindset to make sure that we aren't simply being greedy for more to fill the gapping hole in our hearts. We think there's comfort in having more than we need. But Jesus is, James is reminding readers that riches can't save anybody. That's not what they're given for. As we know, everything we have can vanish in a disaster, get stolen away from us, lose their perceived value, vaporize in a recession, and of course get left behind after we die. There's a quote from our Quaker friends that says this, Tell me what thou dost need, and I will tell thee how to get along without it. (laughs) If the Lord says to you today that you have an attitude that is greedy toward what you possess, I urge you to find out why that is, and to simplify your life by letting go of that that you truly don't need. Secondly, one of James's main accusations against the church, against the rich, I'm sorry, is how their greed has caused them to unfairly use others for their own gain. He says they're committing fraud against those who work for them by not paying them what these people are owed. These workers have worked in the fields, and God has not only heard their cry for justice, but their lost wages have also cried out to him. God is connected to all that he has made. We might think that we're getting a great deal with our greed, but everything is seen by the Lord. At this time in James' culture, a day laborer lived a meager existence, almost on the verge of starvation. They made small wages, and it was not possible really to save anything. If their earnings were not paid, it was likely their family would not eat. And James here is pointing out the rich's lack of integrity at not paying workers who are rightfully owed their wage When Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 20 about the people who come to work in the morning and then at noon and then in the evening, it gives you some idea of the system that was in place. Laborers were hired and paid by the day and did not have a legal contract with their employers. We know this happens every day in Santa Barbara and around the world. But in the law of God, there is a provision to protect the laboring man from his oppressive employer in James, it seems that the rich had hired the laborers and promised to pay them a certain amount. The laborers had done the work, but it had not been paid. The Bible condemns dishonest and selfish gain because it is wrong. There are warnings in Proverbs, but it's really the prophets, Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah, who spell out how wrong it is to put your riches above the. People. They condemn those who store up wealth and who tread on the poor and God warns in multiple places how he will not forget those who disregard the poor while living in comfort and in plenty. The Bible is a book of social justice and activist reform. It seeks to equalize people by pointing to God's heart and motivation. Jeremiah twenty two thirteen says this Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. So we're not in the same context as James, but there's a teaching here for us that our financial dealings have to be above board and honest. Of course, because God is watching, but his people are meant to be witnesses of his truth, and that should inform all we do. If we employ people in some way, if you are an employer and you're sitting here today, you might ask yourself, is there any way that your workers are being exploited, exploited? Would those who work for you cry out because of unjust treatment to them? And what about... All the cheap goods that we buy, being glad for the deal we get without batting an eye. But we are accountable, aren't we? To buy responsibly, to stop the flow of money to a factory owner someplace, somewhere, who is not paying their workers a fair income. Also, this is reminding us that we should pay our bills. We should not hold back money for work that has been done for us. If we have a legal dispute, then we should work through the issue and pay accordingly. I talk to many small business owners who say how much better their lives would be if people who owed them money actually paid them. We have that at Cliff Drive, and we understand that sometimes families go through hard seasons. We understand that sometimes what they promise to pay, they can't, so we work with them, of course. But to intentionally hold back funds because we wanted to keep that money for ourselves is not okay. If our greed has caused us to treat others unfairly or use them for our own gain, let us make that right. While they're robbing the poor, James says in verse 5, that greed has kept their focus on their own luxury and pleasure. In an unpleasant picture, he tells them that their hearts have grown fat, living in high style while others are dying around them. Upton Sinclair, the prolific poet, novelist, and activist from the first half of the 1900s, did something interesting once. He was not a Christian by any means. He actually uh, said that he could not believe in Christianity because he saw it as a religion that favored the rich and promoted low standards among its followers. And that breaks my heart. But that was his experience. For some reason, one time he told this story in one of his books that he was with a group of ministers. And he read a portion of the book of James to them. I think it was this portion. And he told them it was written by a well-known anarchist at the time, named Emma Goldman. Now, she was really a political agitator, and people were very quite upset with her. And so after he read this, the pastors reacted with great anger with what they heard and said she should be jailed and deported for it. Now, indeed, she actually was deported to Russia later in her life for political activities, but not for the words that we study today. And isn't it interesting that sometimes we can hear kingdom language with a political perspective and then reject it? This is the inspired word of God. But for those who are blinded by greed, for those who want to focus in on the comfort of extravagance, these words would have been most unwelcome. The phrasing in verse 5 is not found anywhere else in the Bible. You have lived in luxury means that there's been some kind of breakdown with self-control Enjoyment was the point of their lives. There's no evidence of God's life in them. And we think what motivated the prodigal son? Greed, want, pleasure away from his father's house, We think about another parable Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. Every day this rich man feasted and only thought about his own pleasure. And after he died, he was in such agony. He longed to have just one drop of cool water and saw Lazarus and said, Hey, how about that guy over there? Couldn't he come and serve me? Couldn't he come and put some cold water on my tongue? Jesus warned us, be on guard against every kind of greed. For not even one who has abundance does their life consist only of their possessions. So we stop and we ask ourselves, what is the goal of our lives? One of the ways that we can tell what our goal is, is by how our heart is preoccupied with it. What is our heart preoccupied by? What is it that we spend our energy for? If it's for comfort and only for the pleasure here, may these words of James wake us up. We are living in very disturbing times and our lives need to be free from any kind of greed that would compromise who we are in Christ. The Lord needs his people to be working for him to bring salvation to people that he came to give. We enjoy what we have been given, but we focus on the Lord and his work. Verse 6 is interesting. James is telling them that their greed can cause, loss, can cause loss, loss to others. Verse 6 might be a veiled reference to Christ, who did not offer resistance to the cross, but most scholars believe that this is not James's intent. In their oppression of the poor, those who are righteous have been greatly harmed. This is what greed does. People are cast aside so that people who want to have their way will have their way. And it causes great suffering at the hands of those who greedily hunger for more. Two other quick ideas here. Unchecked consumption is killing us. We are among the wealthiest in the world. And as Christians, we have a moral obligation to mitigate against wasteful spending and living which is so challenging to our culture, in James's day, we would have been quite rich. And our consumption has brought polluted waterways and oceans full of garbage, and greed has brought deforestation and unhealthy air. We can't keep taking and taking and taking. The earth will not resist us. We have to be better stewards of what God has given us. We end with verse 1 where James prophetically tells the overbearing rich that if they don't change, they will be frantically weeping and wailing in their misery. And the unrepentant pain that they have caused to others will be nothing compared to what they will find in the last days when the Lord comes again. A life defined by greed, with little thought as to who God is and what he wants, will bring great sorrow. This is a rough passage. But it's such a good and important and timely warning for us that our time on earth is short and God is not going to put up with our greed forever. James does not ask for repentance, but it is evident in his words that he wants them to weep in sorrow now to let go of those things that are holding them and binding them because anyone who lives in this kind of greed is not happy, trust me. James is not saying it's a sin to have money. What he's saying is it's wrong if your money was gotten by ill gain. It's wrong to have a bad attitude toward it where it's most important. And it's wrong if your money is used only for yourself. This passage is a parallel to a pointed teaching by Jesus in Matthew 6, which has these very familiar words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Later in 26, 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Storing up treasures shows how we worship In life, we cannot love God with all that we are while also loving our possessions. They are mutually exclusive and cannot be reconciled. Where is there greed in your life today? Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with money. Maybe it has to do with time or, I don't know, maybe many other things. Where has craving for something taken the place that God wants to have in your affection? Take some time now before the Lord and honestly assess your life, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.